Well, welcome to the Apologetics.com radio show. You always get shocked, John. <laughs> Where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. I'm Harry Edwards, your host for this evening. And uh, if you're listening to us right now, we are live. So you might be <laughs> driving home or driving to work or uh, tuning in uh, over the internet. Uh, we are live. And tonight I'm joined in the studio by my good friends, John Noyes and Lenny Esposito. How are you guys doing? Really good. Really good. Excited to be here. Yeah. T- typically we would have uh, Jason Gallagher, but uh, I'm, I'm glad, Lenny, you were able to, to join us. Uh, I, like, yeah. I like Lenny way more. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't tell Jason that. Way right? more. Jason doesn't know where I live yet, so that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, so it's the fifth Saturday, but, uh, you know, we call it Friday, so I can say good evening, right? I, I, that's the way I roll. Yeah, Unless same here. Until I go to sleep, it's, it's, still it's not the next day. <laughs> so, uh, so if I stay up for 24 hours, the world really hasn't... Yeah, so what's our topic tonight, guys? Lenny? Well, we're, we're trying to figure out how to reach Gen Z. Yes, uh, the the elusive young demographic that every church pastor seems to be salivating over, yet nobody knows how to talk to. <laughs> yeah, and so tonight I love the way you just phrased that, man. <laughs> every every church pastor's salivating <laughs> over these Gen Zs. This this phenomenon. It's like it's like the elusive, you know, Sasquatch. That's right. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's it's the Bigfoot of the uh, the Christian community. Got There's been sightings, <laughs> but no. No pictures. <laughs> you have kids that are Gen Z, right? I, I do. Yeah. My youngest is 21, yeah. so he's right. And in, in my uh, actually, I have four boys, and so the um, number three is uh, 25. So he's like right at that. He that's was right. born in 96. That's the start of the Gen Z go. cusp. I have two millennials and two Gen Zers. Yeah, you and then I've got a, a a granddaughter, of course, as well, who's very you young. Started you young, granddaughter. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. How old? And she's eight. Oh my goodness! You have like a, have a, a little girl granddaughter. Yeah. The, the first girl. See, my wife was part of the Moab tribe, mothers of all boys. <laughs> nice. Uh, and uh, but we got the granddaughter. I love that. So, That's really yeah. funny. All right, gentlemen. So uh, the title uh, of our topic tonight is "How to Reach Gen Z with the Gospel." Yeah. All right. And uh, this is going to be fun, gentlemen. I think so. So. Um, I'm salivating. You're salivating. <laughs> I, am, I am one of those salivating masters. <laughs> By the way, we're, uh, we've got a couple cameras here, so at some point this is going to end up on YouTube. And if you are watching on YouTube, uh, give us a like and subscribe. That just helps the al- algorithm. Yeah. And, uh, and they should do a lot more than that, Harry. You know what they should do is they should go to apologetics.com and they should click that donate button. That's right. I love it. Yes. Yeah. If you appreciate our program, please do that. That helps us a lot. We are um, a volunteer ministry. I- I'm hoping to be part time this year. So uh, for the for, first time ever, right? First time ever. Yeah. In like, uh, it's been like 250 years. <laughs> yeah, 22 years. That's crazy. Yeah. So uh, yeah, for all of our dear supporters, I will be sending out a support letter at some point, and you guys. We'll know what we're doing here at apologetics.com. You know, it would be really great if a bunch of people hopped on board. Like we didn't talk about this before the show and I don't want to waste too much time on it. But it would be really great if a bunch of key supporters hopped on board early and really launched this ministry, the, this opportunity like into the into the next like phase with you trying to raise some support. So if, if you guys if you guys haven't ever given, we'd love to have uh, have you support us for the first time. If you've given in the past, now's the time to kind of re-up because some major things are happening. If you guys have been to the website, uh, it's been redone. If you've been to the YouTube channel, we have that up and going now. So you've got a certificate program. A certificate yeah, program. Dude, right, this, is, this is like – You've got merch now? you got merch. merch. <laughs> I, mean, I mean this is no joke. See, this is what happens when Harry goes all in. That's yeah. right, man. You know, but it would be great to be able to launch you out you know, into this next phase – with with a good base of support, That'd be great. and the only way that happens is through our listeners. Yeah. So I'm hoping that that can happen. I'd love to give you guys stipends and no nah, man, nah. <laughs> yeah. that, would, that would mess everything up. <laughs> <laughs> then I'd feel obliged. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, dinners are fine, right? No, yeah. you even pay for my dinner. Yeah, tonight, well, right, man. right now, right, right now, you can't fire me. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, I'm, I'm beholden to no man. <laughs> Anyways, well, well, thanks, John, for that. All right, so uh, let's get into it. Um, who are Gen Zers? Who are they? 
We already oh, said man. they're they're the ones born um, between Nin- 1996 and some people would say 2010. I, I want to yeah. extend it to 2015, uh, okay. j- just because. By the way, when you suggested this topic, Lenny, I was excited because I, I know a thing or two about this. I did my dissertation on this. Ah. So um, He's throwing uh, that, that, around. that gives it about 19 years, which is an average for uh, a generation because past generations yeah, have, have been well, about – Well, Gen X and, and, and the millennials, they've been, they've been pushing 15-year cusps. But prior to that – 15 to 20, yeah. yeah. Prior to that, the, the, the baby boomers, the, the greatest generation – uh, those were usually twenty-year chunks. That's right. That's Forty-six right. to sixty-four defined the baby boomer generation. So the nineteen twenty years or so. All yeah. right. Well, who wants to start? Who are the Gen Zers? Well, obviously, um, the the biggest differentiator between the Gen Zers and all previous generations is they are thoroughly connected generation. They're growing up in a world where the smartphone was available to them from infancy. And you see it today. You see mothers with young two-year-olds in strollers pacifying them through an (coughs) iPad and a digital device. They've never known a world without that, which means instant gratification, digital messaging is part of their understanding of how the world works. that's That's the biggest differentiator. Even the millennials, although... They came into the world fairly early in the digital revolution. Um, they still have, you know, quaint recollections of AIM. Dial-up, you know. They probably had some dial-up some, or DSL. Some had dial-up, yeah. but, but you didn't have – like with our kids, you know, they didn't, as elementary school kids, have phones. Right. Yeah. They, had, they had a family computer that you could go to and access, but it wasn't 24-7. And even that was like super limited. I mean, yeah. nobody I mean, nobody had an email. Like you didn't email your friends and no, stuff like no, that. Right? No, no, no. It's like, you know, you could go play one or two games online. We, we, had, a, we had a rule that uh, we wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't buy them a cell phone until they were at least 14. And that was because we were uh, – they were – having some homeschool classes on a campus that was away from us. So we needed to be able to contact them when they were done or if something was early, but, yeah. but it was that kind of a, a deal. Now it's, it's, yeah. I mean, well, but uh, oh, so, like, I don't know if we're like, so, the, so they're, uh, they're digital natives, right? Yes. So, that, so that's what we're true, getting at. The true digital, digital natives. True digital natives. But there's also some, some other things that stand out in my mind. For example, this is just stuff that I read in preparation for the show is uh, they're the most educated or I'm, I'm putting in scare quotes, well-educated uh, Formally educated. Because Formally information is a good way to yeah, put yeah, it. Because, oh, I see. Because, well, information <clears throat> is at their fingertips. Yeah. And well, they're also, I mean, I mean, they're no, all no. going to college. Yes. They're all, they're all, I mean, whether or not the education. They, they is, come from backgrounds where uh, because the Gen Xers had a higher percentage of individuals who had gone to college, it's a percent of the population. And the, uh, now the Gen Zers are even more so. They're, they're, we're finding that they're going to college at even yeah. higher rates. Women, especially. Yeah. Um, what we're what we're seeing is there's a lot of uh, there's a uh, a drop off for boys, right. especially first second year of college. But but yes, they at least attempt the first couple of years. Yeah. And they're all, also okay. I, I was here. just going to ask: Are we all Gen Xers here? I forget. No, I'm I'm actually I was born '64, so I'm I'm at the edge of the baby boomers. Although, oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh no, I didn't know that. So, okay. I didn't know yeah. that either. You're older than I am. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. I don't know what I am. Seventy nine. I have no idea. Uh, Gen X. So Gen, we're X. Gen, Gen X. X. All right. Yeah. I'm an older Gen X, but yeah. And uh, the the other thing that stands out in my mind with this generation is so so they're uh, digital natives. They're really well educated. It's also there as far as ethnicity. They're the most ethnically ethnically diverse yes. 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 group of of uh so for the first time for the first time if uh, they go and attend uh kindergarten they look to the left or to the right more than likely it's not gonna be a white person yeah it's yeah. uh again uh all cultures all ethnicities much more integrated yeah. and, and you know what that's uh to me that's one of the best features of gen z for me because i don't think uh racial issues are gonna be as 
predominant and as forceful for them. Well, that's an interesting statement because, again, from my reading, it, you guys probably know way more about this stuff than than me. This isn't my. No, you're an expert, John. My yeah, yeah. this isn't my field, but. <laughs> Uh, from at least Pew Pew research that's coming out on Gen Zers is they mirror uh, the the views of well, who's the generation right before them millennials millennials so they yeah. mirror on social issues they mirror millennials it seems like so um, which which is interesting I think to me because while they're the most diverse they're the most educated um, they they mirror the the same views as on social issues as yeah. the generation before them. So I don't know what that means, but it's just well. I think I think part of that one has to do with the other. So if they are the most formally educated, they're running through the same educational systems as the millennials, and those educational systems have overwhelmingly offered a um, unitary viewpoint on many social issues. <laughs> sure. So I think I, and they're basically they're believing what they're being taught. And because they're hearing it consistently, they're hearing it now in media, they're hearing it now in their classrooms, and they're hearing it now from uh, yeah. people that Well, they who trust. is that young girl that, that was just so... Uh, Greta Thunberg? Is that yeah, that's right. Yeah, she's a Gen Zer, and she was totally yes. into it. Major causes. I forget what she uh, was. Uh, climate change. Climate was, change. Uh, was her she's main Swedish. Thing. Actually, not even American. You're talking about it, someone from Sweden who stood up and actually Greta. believes oh, Greta Thunberg. Greta. Greta yeah. Sorry. And actually believes that the world is in peril. And this is another thing about about. Gen well, I think Z. that she had some. Like, I think that she had some stuff going on too, like autism and stuff like that. Right. I mean, I don't. I think... don't. I don't know. <clears throat> I do know that that she is still a. Um, Sure. Cause celebrity in yeah. in many circles because she's hmm. on the right side of that issue as far as most of the media is concerned. So, but Gen Z is the there's a blurring between entertainment and um, fact. You know, uh, I I think that's true. One of the other things that I think is is really key though, because Gen Z are digital natives, they really understand. When they're being marketed to, yes. because they're being marketed to all the That's time. Right. That's right. And one of the problems our church has, and I don't want to jump ahead too far, but one of the problems our church has is we try to market to these kids. Put a pin on that one. Yeah, that's good. And right. Boy, they know it. They, they can, know it. They can know. spot it in a instant because they, again, they've grown up with it. That's right. And I think they're more discerning when it comes to information. They're just not going to imbibe everything that's been fed to them. Again, because they're so used. Well, to... they definitely want to. Interestingly, there was an article, uh, a study that Barna is doing, and one of the things that came out with Gen Zers uh, as well as millennials was they want more depth in yes. in teaching. I saw that. Yeah, I read that. And yeah. uh, that's that's interesting as well. So again, they want that. That fits, they're, they're seeking. Yeah, they're seeking realism. And if you've grown up in a digital world, you know. You understand what's outside the frame, right? A couple of things I want to add to that that's related to what you said, Lenny. So, yeah, they are being marketed to a lot because they are the uh, largest consumer group as well. Yeah. 40% of uh, all everything that's bought, I guess, is bought by Gen Zers. Oh, my gosh. 40%. Yeah, and they happen to be also the largest population in the U.S., but even globally, apparently. Mm. So now it makes sense that uh, at this day and age, pastors need to be thinking about strategies on how to reach them. Uh, the, the other thing on my research, um, to me, it's alarming. It's uh, a critical point, in my opinion, for church leaders. But did you guys know, and you guys probably know, uh, only 4% of them grow up with a biblical worldview. I believe that. Only 4%. So I'd, I'd argue it's less, but yeah. yeah it, <clears throat> oh, less than 4%. Huh? So, I mean, you can imagine, right, if you mention Adam and Eve or Moses or David and Goliath or Bathsheba, whatever, Jesus. Yeah, any of those references. Yeah, they're, they're going to be scratching no their head. and So it's good and bad, right? right? I mean, uh, bad that uh, we've slipped away from our... from. Our Christian roots, but um, uh, the good news is, it, really the the harvest is plenty. It's mm. ripe for the picking. Well, the, field, the fields are white. Yeah, the, the fields are definitely white. Okay, but uh, but yeah. 
I well, think that's concerning. I, I think you bring up a, a point, and that's another issue that you have to realize. Gen Z is a thoroughly secular generation. So it is It is completely, in the term that we've used over and over again, disenchanted. It has a really hard time understanding um, a world that has powers, uh, beings, that, that, that operates larger than themselves, that 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 humanity isn't the pinnacle of all existence and and how they fit into that and the sacred therefore is really foreign to them really something that while we may understand it in the church they see church as an activity not that's really good. as a sacred service yeah and that's really good Lenny. that's an important distinction that we have to overcome I know, uh, John, this is your expertise. We know that young people, Gen Zers, are prone to anxiety and depression. Yes. Do you guys know where that came from? Well, I would I would argue it goes to kind of like what we're saying is there's a, a thoroughly secular generation. So thoughts of transcendence in any regard, yeah. uh, whether it be on meaning, purpose, morality, values, ethics, <laughs> origins, anything is yeah. is off the table. Um, yeah, that that didn't help for sure. But um, when it comes to generational or gen, yeah generational studies, they had these like three kinds of effect that that help define a generation. One of them is called a period effect, actually. So if you can think of major earth shattering moments in history. Mm-hmm. And you have a kid that you know that is going through their formation, and then they happen to be right in the middle of that. It it deeply affects them. So, what happened in two thousand seven, two thousand eight? The, the economic fallout. The, that's right. Yeah. Economic the Great well, Recession. I, I will say. I would say. I noticed this with the millennials in two thousand one. Yeah. You, you've got early teens, and and when September eleventh happened, that rocked them. But that's I, right. That's I, right. I, I think the economic thing is part of it. I don't think it's well. They, they well, don't what, have what, experience. What, what, they don't have experience. I thought. I thought. Well, no, the parents. The parents do. Yeah. yeah, and so that that became an issue in the family. Yeah, but and Gen so Z therefore it, it affected the Gen Zers. True. True. Well, they also have something something that affected Gen Zers. Something called COVID nineteen. Yeah, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, we don't know the end of that yet. Yes. Yeah, when I wrote my dissertation, COVID had not happened yet. And I remember when COVID happened, I go, my dissertation is junk right now. Because <laughs> that is a well, just, period effect. It needs another effect. chapter now, yeah. right? But, I mean, but here, I, here's another that's a period effect. Here, here's another interesting thing. Here's another shift that's happened. For most of humanity, children were understood to be individuals who needed to learn to conform to the family structure. In most families, you had a rigid authoritarian hierarchy, primarily patriarchal, primarily father-driven, where it says, you march to what we do. We'll have dinner at 6.15. You'll have X amount of chores that you have to do. You'll have a little bit of free time, and you'll have your schoolwork to do, and we're expecting you to get these kinds of grades. That held through maybe the 60s. And then with the with the Dr. Spock and all these things, a shift happened in the in the late boomers and the early Gen Xers. We decided that we didn't want to be authoritarians like our parents. We wanted our children to actually like us. And this was a this was a, a, a almost a common thing. And so we started asking the kids, "What would you like for dinner?" These are the boomers, right? The, the parents some, are boomers. some of the some of the boomers, yep. and and it fell through to Gen X. Well, certainly Gen X. And yeah. and then it became, oh well, I can I can drive through here, and then I can drive through there to get, you know, and then number three, I can drive through that for you know, I can please all my three kids. different. Yeah. And then it became mom structured her weekly schedule to make sure that. Jenny hit her ballet class, that you got swim lessons, somebody was doing horseback riding. We started budgeting our time around our children. We sent the message to our kids that we want to make you happy. And I think the Gen (laughs) Zers... It's totally true, Lenny. I think the Gen Zers believe that. And when now, when they don't feel happy, guess what they do? They say... It's because of the way I was raised. You're not making me feel. Ha- I need therapy. They're the most. They're the most in therapy, right? Gen Zers are 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 highly 
therapeutic and they're up and they're trying to figure well, out most, who they uh, are diagnosed i mean most diagnosed and, well, and, and treated even, with even drugs and, and again that came through schooling as much as anything else right you had to, you had the school counselor who had started to have way more sway with students <clears throat> than before because oh are you feeling bad let's talk this through your feelings well what's your family structure like maybe you're a victim you know in the rise in victimhood oh, gosh. on top of all this yeah. so you start to see but like everything else, it has the opposite effect. If you try to make someone happy all the time, guess what happens? They become completely unhappy, you know, it's, and that's part of what I'm seeing. <laughs> well, it's like, it's like the, it, it, honestly, it's like the drug addict, right? The, it's the drug addict that keeps chasing the high, you know, the, the happiness will persist for only so long and then you're going to need more and more to make someone well, and, happy. And they never learned how to fail. And the, that's, see, you have to learn it. One of the things that failure teaches you is how to get back up again and, and, and keep moving forward. And if the parents prevent you from feeling bad and failing, then you never learn the lesson of I can survive a failure and I can get up and and of my own initiative, not blaming somebody else, do it again until I get better at it. Yeah. And, and there's there's other things that, that like what you're saying is brilliant, I think. The the question that you originally asked, Harry, that we have something that we haven't talked about, about, you know, why this onset of depression and stuff like that has to do with the um, with the technology as well, you know, mm. com- complete attachment to yeah. these devices living in these, they're, they're literally false realities, you absolutely. know, absolutely. I just, absolutely. I just wrote a, a, a bunch of stuff and have been doing a lot of research on cancel culture, for example. Right. And what spurred it on is I'm, I'm a fan of Dave Chappelle. Like I okay. don't love the wordings. He like the words he always chooses to use, but I think he's really funny. And I don't know if you guys have been tracking with what's happening with Dave Chappelle. Yeah. You know, he's, comedian, he, right. That got comedian. canceled. He, they're yeah. trying to cancel yeah. him. Yeah. yeah. Out of, out of Netflix. And, you know, uh, he says, and I think he's brilliant on this. He says, oh, I guess this is like not verbatim, but I'm, I'm uh, what he says in the show. He's like, oh, I guess I was canceled on Twitter. He's like, I don't care because Twitter's not a real place, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> and, and like it just it, I, I'm like, you know, laughing so hard at that because it's totally true. But that's not what these Gen Zers, right. the Gen Z, their life is TikTok, yeah, Twitter, yeah. Facebook, where it's all a manicured See, uh, existence. It's not real. And again, how you know a like isn't really somebody liking you no and, and it, oh, friends aren't really your friends it, it's it's there's no backwards. personal relationship yeah. you know I, I'm, I'm reading a book right now a fantastic book um i'm not gonna be able to remember the name it's on gender but one of the, the things it's, it's a secular author and what she's what she's arguing is it is, abigail schreier's book yes yeah um uh, it has a picture of the doll with the yeah, hole in the, the stomach right right um Oh, I can't. Rem- a, I'm blanking on the title now. Yeah, it's it's a, a fantastic book, book, but she argues. She's arguing in it, and she says, and uh, she says that like what we used to worry about bullying and stuff like that is actually turning out to be like a necess- like a, a necessary part of uh, adolescence, right. where especially among young girls, like you form these cliques, and we fight against cliques, right? But they would form these cliques at school. They get into arguments with other girls, and and they'd have a bad day, and then they come home and they're separated from it. And they talk to their parents and they vent and they get advice, prayer and stuff like this. And then they go back to school and things get better or change. Or, and they form these social dynamics where, okay, this girl says this and all of a sudden you have an ally and this other girl and, and you're learning how to navigate the world. We're now online. That doesn't happen. One, there's no separation. Right. The bullying, the, the, the nastiness never stops. Number two, you're not forming a real authentic relationship with anybody. It's also on, online decisions are made in an instant and, and then that's it. You know, and, and, and there's no, there's, uh, there's, there's no going back. Once the consequences are set in motion, uh, they're set in motion. Once that picture is posted online, it's there forever. And right. uh, so the, these, all of these factors, I think, lead into why uh, the, the Gen Z is experiencing kind of the emotional crisis it, it, it is experiencing. You know, that's yeah. good. That's Irreversible good, Damage Thank is the you. name of the book. Such a great book. Yeah. Buy it, read it. I know we've got like less than a minute, but I, I did want to, add one more thing that is interesting. James Emery White, who's written on the subject, Meet Gen Z is the title of his book. He's got some really good stuff to say, but he actually did mention something uh, I thought provocative. Um, he said that uh, Gen Z might be the last true generation. And uh, before the <laughs> show started, I, I can explain what he meant by that because generations form around common things. But because beliefs held in common, yeah, th- yeah, that's right. But because of the rapid change in society and and the globalization and everything, it just might not happen anymore. It, 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 we're gonna we're getting so individualized yeah. and so splintered that yeah, you won't have 
enough commonalities within a group to make any significant that group make any significant difference yeah, it'll be interesting but uh james emery white might have written that too soon because again COVID 19 right you never yeah. know that's yeah. one thing that's gonna bind everybody together uh this new generation anyways i hear the music and so that means we're coming up on a station break so please stay tuned and we'll be right back after a few words from our sponsors all right let's get back to the apologetics.com radio show Well, welcome back to the second half hour of the Apologetics.com radio show, where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe, and I am privileged to have my good friends here in the studio with me, John Noyes. What's you going doing? on, man? And Lenny Esposito. Yeah. Um, you guys are just amazing. You guys drive like close to an hour to be here, so I uh, appreciate you guys. I do it just for you. Yeah. It's a deep honor doing ministry with you guys. <laughs> so uh, we have been talking about Gen Z and how to reach them for the gospel. So I guess the first half hour, we uh, tried to create a profile for mm-hmm. Gen Z. And I think it's going to... We're hugely successful in that, I'm just saying. Oh, of course. <laughs> if, if, so if you missed the first half hour, you've got to rewind it and watch it because... It's going to be in our podcast it. in the next few days. And on yeah. the YouTube, yeah. Yeah, on, on YouTube as well. Uh, maybe I should hold it since we're on YouTube now. I could like hold up some of the books. If you have this book, this would be good if you want to understand Gen Z. Gen Z by uh, Barna. I, yeah, Barna. I, I reference that book a lot. Uh, so, um, so how do we do it? Let's get to the the practical part of this. I know John, you're a pastor. Lenny, you run a ministry. Um, you have Gen Z kids. Mm-hmm. You're around Gen Z. Um, well, the and, whole, let's stand the reason. I mean, the whole that's student right. apologetics conference, the reality conference is all Gen Zers. It's nuts. Yeah. You guys are just pros. You're the expert on this. <laughs> oh, watch your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so how do we do this? All right. Now, uh, before we get into you guys' own um, ideas on how to do this, uh, I know there are failed programs. I know, John, you can mention some of them. You said you just want to blow up a lot of these uh, youth <laughs> programs. Just put words in my mouth, <laughs> getting me in trouble. I know. Huh? Oh, that was uh, okay. <laughs> not public information. Yeah. No, I think I th- – yeah. Yeah. No, but no, I, I agree because, again, uh, we're we're behind the curve here as church leaders. But uh, there are a, a couple competing models that I want to mention, and maybe we can discuss the pros and the cons and everything well, in if, between. If it's church's entertainment, then it's a problem because a thoroughly secularized culture will never go to church to be entertained when the secular world can entertain us so much more. I mean, and, like and way so much better. better. Mm-hmm. They're 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 pros at it. So so if you're thinking <laughs> like why why would I go to church to see uh, uh, a a fake Metallica concert when I can go see a real Metallica <laughs> right, concert? Right. I mean, uh, you know, cheap pizza and um, yeah, you know, God's not dead may not be the draw that you want to tell your friends. <gasps> Wait about a on minute, Monday our morning. good friend. <laughs> are you? Are you? <laughs> I'm. Lenny, I'm just, that's so yeah. scary. That's harsh. <laughs> that's harsh. Don't go there. Yeah. I mean, God is not dead. I mean, come on. No, Jay Warner's our friend. Man. No, yeah. I, I, I love Jay Warner. But don't get me wrong. Rice I'm just Brooks. saying. I'm. If I'm you're trying to reach out to the culture, they're going to want to see you know the Avengers. They're yeah. Gonna, <laughs> oh my gosh! Like this is like a whole other topic that we didn't like. We're not going to hit on tonight. But it's like. I just wish that people would stop. I'm sorry. Can I just be me? Of course. I wish that people would just – I wish Christians would stop making Christian music, Christian movies, Christian this, Christian that, and just make the best dang music, the best dang movies. Yeah. Because if you do that, if you focus on doing that, that's how we win the culture. That's how, yeah. that's how people are going to – it doesn't need to be – Just do good work. Just Ex- do, I yeah, mean, ex- excellent work, excellent yeah. work. when That's you, right. when you, when you strive for it, like just you, you do excellence. That's, That's what right. we produce, That's not, right. not this stuff. And, and I, I mean, I read a study, I don't know if it's relevant to our conversation at all, but it was an interview with like across uh, music bands that claimed to be Christian bands. And it was anonymous, like in the article. And it turns out that a lot of these bands are, uh, their second rate secular bands i dare i say secular bands mm. they just didn't make it so everybody knows in the industry well i'll just go to the christian market 
because I can make it there because the, the standard is less. And, uh, and, and the same thing is true with Christian movies. Like, I mean, Courageous is a fantastic movie. I love the Kendrick brothers. They do awesome stuff. But it's not the Avengers. Yeah. I mean, I mean, did you guys see Spider-Man? Oh, yeah. I mean, fantastic movie, right? Great. Yeah. I mean, and, oh, oh, Spider-Man is great, you know, gospel message in it. You know, yeah, I mean, that could right. be a Christian movie. Um, yeah. Anyways. That, that's coming. But anyway. Yeah. So uh, enough off of, off of that high horse. Yeah. But somebody uh, that's okay. No, that's good. Well, we were talking about two popular models out there right now. And, and this is more on the academic side. And I know, I know it gets distilled uh, eventually. But... One would was made popular by Rod Dreher in his book, The Benedict Option, where he pretty much advocates. And to be honest, I I'm convinced that's not his main point, but many have um, thought and interpreted him to say that we retreat, we just retreat I, from I culture. Think, yeah, I think he says we need to build parallel institutions yes. that have a Christian focus. So homeschooling would be a really good example of this, where we can't penetrate the public school system because it's so entrenched in the political culture. You just you just can't. Like in the state of California, you cannot move the needle significantly enough to stop endangering your kids. So <laughs> what happens is we, we build a parallel system. We have the homeschooling system, which is thriving, and it can do very, very well. And in Dreher's model, what happens is if this becomes very successful and does very well, you will see parents then drawn to it yeah. as opposed to staying. And we're, And to some degree, especially with COVID-19, where the – uh, foibles of the public education system have been laid bare via the Zoom camera. We are seeing exactly yeah. that. We are seeing tons of people retreat and saying, we want to put our kids here because you guys are at least doing school and you're actually teaching them stuff and not just trying to rally them to specific social causes and forgetting about reading, writing, and arithmetic. Which right. which brings up its own concerns, right? Because uh, So I serve on the board of directors of a small private mm -hmm. uh, classical Christian school. And we've seen our, our enrollment is through the roof. Yeah. I mean, we're literally maxed out. We can't take another kid because the facility won't hold another kid. We have waiting lists of 25, 30 families wow. for each grade. And, but it means that we need to uh, up our game as yeah. far as admittance and, and protecting and watching over who and what we're letting in. I mean, cause I mean, this is how we saw the education system go, uh, go kaputs in this country in the first place. I mean, the educational institutions were founded distinctly on Christian principles, the, the colleges specifically the college, but yeah. education in general. I mean, you look yeah, to the early, right. early primers, uh, the, the, you're teaching alphabets, the alphabets, your kid by, by biblical. Analogies. Yeah. You're, 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 the King James Bible was pretty much the first reader that many that's children right. had in the 1800s. That's right. So we need to make sure that that we hold firm to that. So we make these distinct communities, these parallel. Yeah. I like the way you said that a parallel system or community yeah. or thing. And uh, so that's that's basically Dreyer's. Yeah, and Dreyer reiterates that yeah. in "Live Not by Lies" too. Exactly. The right. last maybe quarter of the book. Yeah, that's another good book too. So. All right, so that that's one model. But I, I know a lot of people again have have misunderstood him to, to think well, that. Well, and you can't necessarily create, for example, a Christian university, quote unquote, you know, uh, that's a hard thing to start. And there is something to say that if you want to be a really good doctor, you've got to go to an institution yeah. that has really good professors and has a really good medical intern program. And it's not like we can just invent those out of air. So, th so there's problems with that. But that's a doctor. Most people, most people aren't going to medical school. So if you want to be um, – if, if, if you want to be a radio host or an engineer or if you want to be uh, – I'm putting in quotes a normal – type position. Yeah. Uh, that, that broadens the possibility and makes this, this idea a lot more feasible. Well, no, I, I'm just saying, I'm just saying that that's one example of other, there, there are certain yeah. institutions that we can't just simply create a uh, parallel yeah. version of. They like just, the Christian it, universe, it, or university. Yeah. It, right. it, it doesn't, it doesn't lend itself to that. And so that's, that's the, that's the weak point yeah. of that. And, and Dreyer also argues like what I like about Dreyer's, can I say what I like before we get into the other next system or do you want to do the sure, next no, system? Go, go, go with Dreyer. What I like about Dreyer's system, though, and this is the way that I take him, is it's also the idea of Christians within the context of their local communities, their local church communities. Uh, if you're a Christian business,
businessmen, you create these successful businesses with the intention of being able to hire Christian men and Mm -hmm. women to come work with you and work for you. And you create these almost self-sustaining sub populations like these, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like the Amish. Right. Right. Um, And so when, when things really like when, when it really hits the fan here and, and things in persecution really comes, we have a system that's set up in place to take care of one another. So so when, you know, Bob, that it comes to my church, he's an executive at Microsoft, and all of a sudden he's he's being forced to call, you know, boys, girls, and, and girls, yeah. boys, and, and share bathroom with women. He can say this isn't right, and he can stand by his convictions even to get fired because he knows he's got he's got Rick that has a, a software company in the church and he's waiting in the wings to hire Bob, you know, on. So all of a sudden you see the Christian community taking care of itself with, with the future in mind, with future persecution. This is actually, this is my, my church. It's small, mm-hmm. small little church. This is an emphasis that we're slowly introducing to the body where we're trying to, you know, if, if you farm, if you, if you're an ag, let's, let's have you start focusing on the future, 10, 15, 20 years. What's that yeah. look like as far as benefiting the church? Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, that's good. All right, so that's Dreyer's model, the Benedict option. Uh, Let's move on to another popular option, which uh, James Hunter wrote about, and he calls it faithful presence within. So basically, he takes that out of um, uh, Jeremiah 29, 5 to 7. All right, so let me me read the verse— because this is this is really uh, what uh, grounds his idea of faithful presence within. So uh, the context behind this is you've got the prophet Jeremiah uh, getting the word from the Lord and telling uh, the Hebrew people who are at this point exiled in Babylon. So the word from the Lord is, uh, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. The idea there is, let's say if you're a teacher, you're an accountant, you're a baker, you're a CEO of some company, remain there and be faithful. And like you said, do your very best. Uh, do excellent work. So that's that's kind of like the faithful presence within model, um, as opposed to... Uh, you know, kind of like going a parallel route, just bloom, sort of bloom where you're planted. So, what do you guys think of that one? Well, I, I, I obviously the, we're called to be faithful Christians in whatever avenue. You know, we are to do all things as unto the Lord. That's that's, that's clear. And Pauline, I, I don't know that. You can be a faithful Christian in Google, but is that how much is that actually going to sway a Gen Zer who uses Google or Twitter or you know what I'm saying? So so there, there's only a there's a limited amount of function that that can do. I think it's important as a witness to others within the Christian community that you can be faithful in in those aspects. I think we need to be that. I don't think, like I said, we can withdraw completely. That'll never happen. Um, but in terms of attracting Gen Zers, I don't know if that in and of itself is going to be effective enough. Right, right. I think, I think more needs to happen. And I was listening to, uh, interesting, I was listening to a podcast coming in this evening. And one of the complaints that the atheist had. It's an atheist and a Christian guy kind of talking back and forth. And the atheist lady said, the problem with evangelicals now, and she she really, you could she was trying to be nice, but you could tell that underneath it, she had some really ill feelings because she, she equated evangelicals with the Trumpists. And she said, you, you know, I think there's some real hateful I, I I see them as being hateful. I see them as being ideological. I see them as being 
uh, rigid and and rejecting of people and and people's uh, identities and people's values and 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 judgmental and hypocritical all, all of those all of those things. And he said, "Well, what the Christian said? Well, what what would it be like? What if there was a way?" where the Christians came back to that, the Jesus model, where there was radical love for neighbor, radical, would, would that be attractive to you? And she says, well, let me ask you a question. How do, we, how, does, how do you get there? How does that happen in Christian circles? And that was a good question. Mm-hmm. And he started saying, I don't know, maybe it happens at a grassroots level, things like that. I, th- I think he's completely wrong. I think what's going to happen— <laughs> I think what's going I think to happen is completely wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. It's not going to just some nice guys are going to get together because we're all in. You know, we're all swimming in our biases, and our culture has tainted us. But what has historically happened is the church persecuted is the church pure, and what will happen? What will be really attractive? What this is honest. This is this is relational. This is all the things that checks off all the quote unquote Gen Z boxes. Is when you are disdained by culture, and yet you turn around and run into culture anyway. Well, that's a, um, so that's amazing. So we're talking about COVID-19. The Antonine Plague of AD 165 to 180 is a huge deal in the history of early Christendom. Because what happened was when that plague was ravaging Rome, and Rome was at its zenith, it was at its peak at that time, even the Roman nobility would leave their relatives and flee to the hillsides. And it was the Christians who were walking into the city as everybody was walking out. And nobody could figure these guys out. Now, many of the Christians did catch the plague while they were nursing the pagans, the pagan Romans, back to health. And some of them died. But I think it's Rodney Stark who posits that it may, that act may very well have been the thing that established Christianity as a major force because A, the Christians got immunities, and B, all the people whom they helped said, hey, wow, you guys are something different. You guys actually cared about me, even when my Roman cousin or uncle or whomever fled to the hillside and left me to die, you came in and saved me. That kind of honesty and reaction in the face of, you know, uh, self-harm, there's nothing like it. And I think that's the kind of thing that would resonate with this culture. That is the thing I think that's resonating with the the culture with the Gen Zs and the and the millennials and because that's a narrative of these alter ulterior worldviews, right? Yeah. So how did the you know the the sexual revolution stick? Yeah. It's because this is oh we're persecuted, we're persecuted, we're persecuted, we're persecuted. And my, there might be truth in that at first, but certainly now it then there's very little truth in that yeah. as far as I'm concerned, you know. Um, but you you when you see those things you, you, and people standing up against the man or the the authority pressing back into yeah. the establishment, that's very attractive. Uh, it's attractive to me. It is. You want you want to be on that side, right? Of uh, the movers and the shakers, the you know the people that are standing up for righteousness and goodness. Yeah. Unfortunately, in this instance, it's a it's a lie. But um, but I agree with you, Lenny. I think as as the as the the church is falls under a deeper and, and actual actual persecution. Uh, what did you say? Persecution is the church purified. Yeah. And as, and this happens so, so, and then as the church becomes purified an onlooking world is going to see a purified church and they're going to see things that are emulating out of that church, like love, right. peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Sound familiar, yeah. right? These are the, these are, these are the fruits of the spirit, right? So that fruit it's going to be emulating out into the culture and people are going to go, I want that because they're going to be in there in the and culture of confusion. It's, man. it's beauty. It's, it, it, it's, it's, it's beautiful. True beauty. And, and it's and- true. Mm-hmm. So we got to remember here that the, that the truth is central here. Yeah. Truth, right? goodness, and beauty. It's, That's it, right. it, it's, it, it hits all those aspects of the transcendental. Now you brought up sexuality. I was thinking about this. This was one of the things that I was scratching my head about because when I originally asked the question, how do we get a thoroughly secularized culture to understand what the sacred is. Yeah. And I thought about it in a sexual—first thought about it when, when it comes to regard for, for sex, because traditionally it had been sex was considered something that was sacred. You have two individuals who are at their most vulnerable, 
during the sexual act, sharing with one another, right? And also they're vulnerable in the sense that it means creation of new life. There's a sacredness to creating new life and the pledge that you will be around for the next 20 years to help <laughs> raise that new life. All of that in, was entailed and understood. This is why when you were married, you weren't really married until you conjugated the marriage. Mm -hmm. That was the, the primary understanding. Now, sexual activity is recreational. It's not sacred anymore. How do we get kids to understand what the sacred is? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's something that is sacred to them that they can understand, and it's, and it's reflected in our language. Because sexuality was sacred— the F word was the mother of all swear words. Remember in yeah. A Christmas Story, I said the big one, oh, right? Yeah, the yeah, F yeah. blank, blank, blank word. That was the top swear word when we were growing up. That was it. That's not the top swear word anymore. There's another word that's worse to say than that. What's that word? No idea. The N word. Uh, it's so bad they don't use it in TV shows. They'll try to use the F word in movies, but they don't say the N word in movies. All right? The, the, and if you say it, even in, in teaching, you, you, know, you can say the F word all day long in a college classroom. You can't say the N word or they'll call you on the carpet. Why is the N word so bad? Because what is sacred is personal identity. And to the Gen Zers, personal identity is hallowed ground. You don't disparage someone sacred. for their race. You don't disparage someone for their understanding of themselves. Personal identity is that sacred nature. So we have to somehow communicate that that idea of sacredness is not merely self-absorbed, but it actually extends to other aspects. And if we can start with that, then maybe they can understand what sacredness actually is. I like that. And especially if we, you tie it to the image of God, which yes. really at some point they need to understand that that is where we ground our identity. Right. And then because we know that Gen Zers, they want to participate in, in let's say, their learning process. That's why discipleship has to be uh, genuinely relational. It can't just be a bunch of programs and here uh, you leave with a bunch of, you know, readings yeah. and then— We used to have one English teacher, my freshman English teacher. He would take out mimeographed— worksheets every day in class and he'd pass us out <laughs> and we'd look at each other and go he's not teaching us yeah. he's this is just busy work yeah. it yeah. was the relational and kids like yeah. i said kids get that they do right away. especially now they're it, sensitized to that it makes uh, me it makes yeah. me want to think like if you if you're listening and like you're a parent or a teacher or a young adult or somebody that can have influence on a young person's life you want to know how to affect the generation is what you do is you form a relation you find two or three of them and you say, hey, do you want to meet for whatever, coffee, yeah. video games, whatever you can rally around, and you just start talking about worldview stuff with them, you know? And that's that's what I did when I was a, a young pastor. I think I'm still young, but I'm getting old. But it's like when I was first a pastor, before I was at a Stand to Reason or before Soli Church, is I just grabbed young kids, you know, high school kids. I just grabbed them and said, hey, you want to meet for coffee at Starbucks after school? Okay, cool. Let's do this. And we just would... No books, no study no, no materials, agenda. no yeah. agenda, yeah. Just, just like hang let's out. get to right. know each other and, and let me sew into you, you know, yeah. as much as I possibly can. And those relationships for me are still going. And these young men are getting married. Right. And so getting so real relationships <laughs> yeah. aren't, let's, let's have some fun together. Real relationships are when the other person, when, when you're just hanging with the other person and they say, everything's okay. And you say, no, it's not. Yeah. Let's talk. Let me, wait, I was supposed to have dinner with my family, but... I'm coming over instead. You know, when you put yourself out, that's where the that that's what Facebook and TikTok and these guys can't do. That's and this is why you can't do online church. Because there it's it's that's when right. you know, it's when you're walking in church and you look across and you go, Wow, Jenny just doesn't look as happy as she should. I'm yeah. going to go over and talk to her. I haven't she, seen Frank in two weeks. Yeah, you, yeah. yeah you, wouldn't, you don't catch that any other way. You won't catch that online because it's easy to pose online. But when you're there, that make, that's where relationship gets real. Right. And it's like, okay, no, be real with me. What's going on? That's what these kids want. Yeah. The gathering is like is the gathering of the church is just so incredibly important, right? It's the community of God. It's yeah. it's the body of Christ. It's the training ground really for the saints. It's also where we do battle. 
You know, uh, I, I think uh, part of the reason why the culture is the way that it is is because the church is anemic. I said this before the show, the church is sick. And um, and the, the churches, I think, the local church, I really do feel like is the solution. And, and this, at least it's where the solution flows out of, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we have a very low understanding of what Sunday mornings actually is. It's a time when the saints of God gather corporately, the, the, the church Catholic gathers corporately around the world to do battle against Satan. Heaven and earth are moved yeah. on Sunday mornings. Yeah. I like what you said earlier um, before the show started about your church. Again, this is uh, part of how Gen Z uh, forms their, uh, their belief system and uh, how they gravitate toward things. But um, they like to participate in, in, in whatever. It could be causes or uh, in their education, in their education, um, in your church, John, uh, just tell us in like a minute or less <laughs> how you guys do it, uh, how Gen Z participates. In, sure. So, yeah. so our, we have no student programs. We have no midweek. We have no women's Bible studies, men's Bible studies, nothing. We do Sunday mornings to the best of our ability. And so the parents are in service next to their children. Uh, my kids are in there five to 11. We've got high schools, everybody. And the way they participate is through the liturgy. Right. So, so it's, it, 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 I thought, it, I thought this stuff's crazy, but it's working. There's standing and sitting, right. Like that, that, uh, the, the, the old school way, right. There's public confessions of sin where we all read things together. There's uh, that we read a creed, right. Everybody recites the creed together. We sing corporately, we gather around the table, right. So when we do communion, you know, we, we pass the peace old school, right. Pass the peace, you know, and, uh, and that's how the kids are participating in church. My kids, well, they're growing to love it. You know, it's hard, but, yeah. but other, kids the the older kids older than mine which is the generation we're talking about they love it and they're literally dragging their parents to church where we're like 80 percent uh students which is nuts well you have the last word john thanks for that as it should be no, yes <laughs> i know uh we are out of time uh you've been listening to apologetics.com radio where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe our hope is that you've learned something about Uh, the Christian worldview that strengthens your faith and make you want to learn more. So special thanks to our panel tonight, John Noyes, Lenny Esposito, and our engineer, Emma, that makes all of the magic happen for us. Special thank you to our listeners. Until next time, good night. And YouTubers, don't forget to subscribe and like.